The Grappling Hour is brought to you by No Gi BJJ Gear. Use the promotional code GRAPPLINGHOUR15 to save 15% off of whatever you put in your cart. And Dodgy Collected. Dodgy Collected. Creating jiu-jitsu gear for those who love to train after a hard day's work and for those who live the jiu-jitsu lifestyle from their mom's couch. That's actually what it says. I'm reading it verbatim. Anyway, go buy from them. What's up, everybody? It is your friendly neighborhood BJJ podcaster, Raph Spars, coming to you with another amazing installment of The Grappling Hour. First and foremost, we want to give some love to our friends over at Nogi BJJ Gear. If you use the promotional code Nogi BJJ Gear, actually, that's not, that's the website. It's very early in the morning. You'll understand why in a second. If you use the promotional code Grappling Hour 15, you will save, what's that, 15% off of whatever you put in the cart. Also give some love to our friends over at dodgycollective.com. They have some amazing rash guards and spats. All right, I understand. I fucked up the promo. We'll get through it. It's fucking 6 a.m. in the morning for me. Why would I get up at 6 a.m. in the morning? Well, sometimes you get confused and your body wakes up naturally. Time change. None of that today. Our good friend Ash Williams lives very far away, and it is hard to coordinate a schedule. But when the triple champ says, hey, listen, could we do it at a certain time? You got to do what the triple champ says. And I'm very excited to talk to him about having three titles because, number one, that's very difficult to do. Number two, he had a very game opponent for a super fight yesterday at Polaris 15. And I was stoked to watch that match. It is hot fire. We're going to talk about that. And three, he's also got a combat jiu-jitsu uh, appearance that he's going to be doing at the end of this month. So I think for all these reasons and more, we're going to welcome back to our show our good friend, one, Ash Williams. Ash, how you doing, sir? Yeah, good, Raph. Thanks for having me, man. I love your intros. <laughs> I'm glad to hear that. I do want to ask you this. Where do you get off getting a third Polaris title when I don't even have one? I think that's rude to the rest of us as a humanity. Well, I, I've said a few times, you know, I think where, like geographically where I'm located uh, for Polaris, and I know the guys really well. Um, the first title was more out of the fact that I couldn't contest the 145 uh, because they had Nicky Ryan and um, Imanari booked for that one. And then they said they wanted me to, to come back in, uh, so they offered me the 155. And then, you know, I said I didn't really want to, that wasn't really the one I wanted. I, I really wanted to contest lower and I wanted to push for the 145. And then obviously at that match with Xiao Miao on um, Castle Pro. And they said, do you want to run that back? And I was like, yeah, for sure. And they were like, well, let's just do it for a 135 title. And I was like, yeah, let's do that then. Uh, I was like, man, I'm not going to say no to that. You know, 100% not. Um, and then obviously Miao pulled out and then I had Rich Alcon step in for that one. And um, finally, after two years, of winning, I think it was two two and a half years of winning the first initial title eliminator for the 145 title. Um, I've managed to do full circle and get back to where I want to be, which is 145. 
so let's discuss what weight classes are all three of these belts in does it get confusing do you have a nickname for each of these belts that helps me, you to remember for me no but apparently for everyone else yes <laughs> um it's just the 135 so bantamweight 145 featherweight and 155 lightweight um and obviously fought richard alcon um tom halpin and ethan crownstein so we're talking about 145 being that magic weight that you like. Does it yeah. feel nicer at the 155 when you don't have to cut as hard, or is there still a little uh, bit of a cut that happens? Given Polaris's day before, um, 145 is probably much more <clears throat> ideal for me because, you know, you could get a lot of heavier guys. Like I could, you know, like for example, like uh, PJ Barch probably could make 70 um, day before, and, and a few other guys that are probably walking around 77, 78 um, can make that weight, you know. You know, I made I made 135, which is 61, and I woke on 71, uh, you know, day before. So, and I know a lot of MMA guys can make those type of weight cuts as well. So, I think 145 is where I only cut a little bit. So, I had a hot bath and be 40 minutes, which is nothing. You know, like that's easy. Just go up, weigh in, drink some water, and we're good to go. So, um, the 145 is is the best weight for me. It's where I feel my most comfortable. Like the cuts easy, and I still feel physically as as dominant as I I, I can be at the weight. You know. 155, the guys come in heavy the next day, and it can be very difficult. Absolutely checks out. I do want to ask this. Okay, so yesterday when I talked to you, you mentioned that this was going to be a three-hour drive home. So this wasn't quite the same, it's right in the backyard thing that we're used to for you. Um, no, uh, it's way closer to home than anything else I get. But yeah, it was um, we drove three hours up uh, two days ago to do the weigh-ins. We stayed up in a hotel. Uh, you know, it was really, really straightforward. Polaris is super professional with how they treat their athletes, and they're always really accommodating. Um, but, we, you know, we could have stayed up there an extra night and then drove home this morning. But because we were finished and it was like 8 o'clock by the time the match was done, we thought we may as well just get home and get in our own beds before midnight, you know, so we can uh just wake up to a family and, and anything else you know so i thought that was um a better call than just staying in an extra night in a hotel for the sake of it is it weird to be driving for three hours on pure adrenaline when you're still feeling like you won and i'm uh, sure you're still feeling pretty good or are you just exhausted at that point well actually well england actually um the we, i could be in england yesterday um and the england actually got locked down on thursday so they went back into a full national lockdown so uh pretty much nothing was open except for essentials so it wasn't like we could go out for like a beer or celebrate or anything after. So we literally had gone home, sat in a hotel room and done nothing and just gone to sleep. So um, it was quite nice driving home. Um, I've been really working on um, a lot lately, trying to not allow the adrenaline and everything else seep in when I compete. So I, I really feel like I'm getting a way better handle on the adrenaline dump and the emotions of competing. Um, I actually told myself there's a guy in my gym called Tom Barry. Um, and as I stepped on the mats, I was like, right, right look, which in the gym, it's a Monday morning. Tom Barry's up to the mats. He's one of my favorite guys to like chimp off against and just have a lot like a proper ruck with. I was like, just think it's Tom and just go for that instead, you know? And then after the match, I felt a lot better for it. Talk to me a little bit about how the match came together because it did seem pretty obvious where I was like, yeah, helping and you makes a lot of sense on paper. Uh, we've been offered the match and we've actually both agreed to the match probably five or six times in the last 12 months uh, with a lot of uh, just shows cancelling or problems. Um, they couldn't agree purses and other stuff, you know. Um, I don't know. We're, we're all super grateful. I can imagine as athletes, we're super grateful right now to compete. Um, but I do also believe, you know, that given the conditions we're competing in, 
you know, the show still wants to be entertaining. They still wants to perform the best we can. So I still think, you know, like um, a, a relative payday uh, to compete um, when we could wait a couple of months, you know, and see if the world kind of bounces back a bit. Um, it's really weird without a crowd. I don't really enjoy it as much. But then it, it has helped me kind of get over the um, psychological elements of competing with having the adrenaline dumps and having the uh, big build-ups and releases, you know. So Tom was a perfect match given the current situation. You know, he's, a, uh, he's from Ireland, so the match was able to happen. And um, to be fair to Tom, man, he's been on a very, very good tear in the last 12 months. You know, qualified for DCC, they're winning combat jiu-jitsu world, submitting um, Imanari with a leg lock as well, you know. So um, I've always wanted the match with Tom. Um, kind of feel like it was what was going to prove who was the best 66 kilo guy in, in, in Europe. Um, but as I said at the end of my match last night, I don't feel like that's what we, we're contesting. You know, it's not about telling everyone else that we're the best in Europe. It's about telling everyone else that we are able to compete at the world level. You know, that's what I feel like we did. Well, I want to go straight into that match because here's what I really liked about it. From the get-go, you guys were both doing what I feel are elements of your game that are kind of trademark for you passing and very, very consistent. Your balance was so, so good. You were riding the ability of his uh, setups to try and get in on the legs. I mean, you're like the minute I saw you get an underhook to begin the match. I just said, my God, this man is aggressively very quickly trying to get a pass here. And uh, Tom was throwing some good leg locks in there. So talk to me a little bit about your first uh, recollections of that match. I, I've watched the match back uh, two, two or three times already. I, I enjoy watching the matches back to see where I made mistakes and some things that went wrong or what went right. Um, it pretty much went almost exactly how I envisioned it in my head. You know, I pictured over the last couple of weeks, like played it over and over and what could have happened. Um, you know, it's very, very difficult as guard pass. And I say this all the time to all my students and anyone who I talk to. It's not very straightforward to pass a guard without getting tied up and that's not the issue the issue is whether you can like navigate the tie up and then uh, attack off the back of it or re-engage and learn off your mistakes you know learn off the tie up and every time i fight a leg lock you know i always get tied up with legs i always do once or twice they tie me up and then as time persists you know it's almost like you're solving a puzzle and like that's the way i view it I, when i engage that guard and they throw up their defense and then they come after me with their offense I kind of read the game. I read what they're doing. And then as the game goes deeper into uh, the time goes deeper, I just start to uh, flow a bit more and I negate what they were initially doing. And then I eventually pressure kind of takes over, you know, they do succumb to the pass. Um, you know, like I didn't really feel that much in danger on, on the leg entanglements. Tom got me in the, the entanglements were brilliant, man. He had great setups and really, really good pinch of, of my, my leg. Uh, he didn't really manage to get a bite on my heel um, a single time. Uh, my awareness of leg locks is is, is very good, I believe, um, and it's been tested time and time again. Uh, I knew I was eventually going to pass, and that was always the game plan. But we actually, um, it was really weird, but unfortunately, there was no clock on the screen. So uh, what we I thought it was about three minutes in. I thought we were still in the first period. Um, and then the clock shows up, and it's, it's five minutes left. And I was like... <laughs> I got to go. I got to move, man. Like, like if, if this is, you know, the player is scoring, you know, he won the first, he won the first third, you know, for sure. Like, I didn't get any attacks off. He didn't really get any full attacks off, but he got leg entanglements. 
Um, and that's going to be racking up against me, even though I'm the person who's pushing forward and engaging. And I think people don't understand that. They don't respect that enough. You know, for the guy on top, um, I believe the risk-reward um, initially is actually in favor of the person who's pulled guard if they've got um, good leg locks. So I've actually got to almost accept losing the first few minutes of a match um, to navigate and work out how I'm going to beat this person. Um, and then, you know, if you watch the last five minutes, uh, you could see every single time I was engaging, he it was just it was just getting deeper and deeper every time. And um, once I passed, I felt really secure. Uh, you know, you don't see a lot of guys push the mount against leg lockers, you know, but I've just been working on being heavy on top. And I knew if I got the mount, I could have forced the head and arm, which I tried. Um, my my general attacking sequence is uh, head and arm, back take, and then come to the body for like uh, armbar triangle. Uh, you know, if there was 10 seconds left on the clock, uh, it's easy to say if there was, because there wasn't, but you know, I, I did finish the match with a triangle locked up. Um, and potentially, if I if the clock was on the screen the whole time, I might have pushed a little bit harder for the extra two minutes, which I didn't know. I didn't know they passed. You know, I really didn't know where we were in the match. Um, but it, it did pretty much play out exactly like I thought. I thought I'd pass him eventually, um, and I knew I'd have to weather an initial heavy storm. Um, you know, I got massive props for Tom. He's he's an excellent competitor, and, and he definitely is. Uh, a very, very dangerous guy when he gets hold of you. Um, and I've seen him do it time and time again, you know. But uh, I haven't actually been submitted at Black Belt level for like four, maybe four years now, maybe a bit longer. Um, I think Cachino was the last person to submit me in a Black Belt match. Um, obviously, if you're buying a CBA all the time. And uh, I always see these interviews and they always say like, ah, oh, man, I'm a submission hunter, I'm dangerous. And I sit there and watch him. I'm like, oh, man, I really understand what you're saying. And if you manage to be the first guy in this long, then congratulations because I, I can't see you submitting me. Um, so uh, I thought it would go that way because he wasn't going to put me away. And I knew over time the pressure would get to him. I'll preface it with this, which is Tom is an amazingly nice human being. I, I really like him. Uh, getting a chance to interview him, you know, Again, it's one of those things. I feel like we, we say this almost every time with you in particular, where I go, dude, every one of your competitors that's at that high level is a friend of our show. But I was so jacked when I saw it was you and him. I said, I think that is going to be not only a great uh, element to go outside of the squads and the gi element of what was going on that yeah. day, but it's really going to bring a good uh, competitor vibe between you and him because he's going to try all of – in what he's got to uh, make a leg lock happen. I would ask you this. Was, were you able to have like, your brother there? Because I know your brother is a true strategist. And I know you said, you know, you, you had a certain game plan uh, that was coming in. I know a lot of the times he's right there studying with you. He's right there creating that kind of game. Was he emulating uh, Tom's game throughout the camp? And then so go ahead. So, yeah, we, we talk, my brother was uh, during the whole camp. He was present, and my other coach, Chris, uh, they were both there, you know, both working uh, in the background. Uh, Chris really uh, has taken an overall sight on how much I'm sparring in relation to my uh, strength and conditioning. So I've been lifting four times a week for the last three, maybe three or four months. Um, you know, I, I really feel like that is what has changed the most about me as an athlete this year is my athleticism. Um, and then my brother has been my strategist and technician. You know, he always makes sure that my jiu-jitsu is on point. Uh, you know, even when we sat in the car on the way home, you know, straight away, he was like, man, you know, like, the, you know, this was brilliant. That was brilliant. You know, he did this. But 
you know, you know, you could have been caught there. You should not let this happen. And he just talks me through like what he thinks would make me improve for the next um, match I have. You know, one of the big things he talks just talks about to me a lot is the fact that because I'm so comfortable in leg locks, I let the, let the tie ups happen too often. And as the match was going on, you know, he was encouraging me to not only push my um, my passing game in, but he was saying that I had to switch up. And um, if you you could maybe you could have heard him, but uh, but uh, he actually shouted for me to start passing to to my wrong side. So he wanted me to push left, um, that would allow the gap to open between the knees for me to get the knee cut on the right. Um, and I knew immediately when he shouted start when he shouted shouting pass left, pass left. I was like, okay, I know what you want. Do you want me to to, to open this side up so then I can come back to my good side? Um, and that's what you know. That's pretty much exactly what happened. Um, you know, it's nice having my coaches there when I compete, and they definitely do make uh, a big difference. Um, but as you know, Tom said in his interview, I've actually watched a few of Tom's interviews, and you are right, he's a super nice guy, and he's a super intelligent guy. Uh, a lot of stuff he says, um, I watched his, his stuff on his mindset and the way he thinks, and it's brilliant. You know, he's really, really, uh, it's, it's, it's what you should be doing. You know, he 100% he thinks in the right way, and he had full faith in his ability. Um, and I never tell anyone I've got, I never tell anyone I'm going to beat this person, but I never not back myself either, you know? So, um, when my brother kind of starts telling me to start pushing up different things or uh, different approaches in the match, if I'm able to do it, even if I don't believe it might be the right decision, I usually do follow his advice because, um, he probably can see something I can't, you know, it's not about, I also say like, <clears throat> imagine comparing Gordon Ryan to Dan Hare, you know, like Dan Hare can still give Gordon Ryan advice, even though Gordon could beat him in a row. You know, that's not what defines someone's grappling abilities, your physical ability to roll with them. It's their mind and how they they view the puzzle, you know, how they uh, decipher that puzzle. They didn't really emulate Tom that much in roles. All we did is try to um, minimize how much my legs were getting tied up. You know, that was, that was the main focus of the camp is keep my game going. We, we wrestled a lot. Uh, I knew Tom wasn't going to wrestle, but when I wrestle a lot in camp, it gives me great confidence in my physical ability going in. Uh, that was one of the things actually I suffered with a lot with Kid. We didn't wrestle much in the camp before Kid, And then when Kid came out strong with the wrestle, uh, I backed down physically. And then mentally, um, I suffered a lot during that match uh, to get back into it and change my my kind of goal in me. You know, I had nothing in me to go like, yeah, let's go. We can get, we can get after this guy. Um, so when I wrestle on camp, it gives me a, a big confidence boost that physically I'm, ready to compete so uh yeah like overall the camp was brilliant and uh as always i just got faith in my coaches and i'm happy to be representing them that is pretty cool i mean yeah um let me put you back on a regular screen i just know that when i was watching the match and i saw you in those last three minutes i knew you had it secured i knew that you were in a good place um what happens afterwards like so Obviously, there's a little bit of a weirdness because we don't have our esteemed Josh Palmer going there to interview you. But uh, tell me a little bit about what happens. Do you talk with Tom? Does he happen to say like, hey, man, here's some advice for uh, combat jiu-jitsu in a few weeks? Or what do you guys <laughs> no, exchange with each other? Uh, we, we didn't speak. I spoke to him after I went to the change room to say thanks to him. You know, like I've always got great respect for my opponents. Um, as I told Tom, you know, at the end of the day, uh, and I genuinely believe this, that when I get when I've lost in tournament, when I've lost over the last few years, I always have full respect for my competitors because I know how hard I work, and if they are beating me in a competitive scenario, then they must be working 
they're like ridiculously hard also you know this like richard alcon if you look at richard alcon if you follow his instagram man the guy's inspirational like the amount of the amount of hard work that guy puts in um is incredible you know and and when you do lose it's not about just being like oh i'm rubbish but it's, it's not you you don't have to devalue yourself you know you can always just you are able to say man fair play to the other guy he he brought something to the table that i couldn't deal with and and he really deserved the win, you know, and his jiu-jitsu is excellent. But it doesn't take away from your jiu-jitsu being excellent also. You know, at the highest level, I believe the margins are slimmer. And um, when you start to, you know, if you make a mistake or two, then it does show. Um, what I did to the Tom, and, and I always feel this as well, as I, I said him straight away, as a man, like, if you can't, like, I would love to train with you. You know, as soon as we're able to, as soon as the borders and the country and everything opens back up, Matt, I'll come to Ireland, you come to, to, to me, whatever, and let's get some training because, the best way for us to compete against um, Americans and Brazilians is for us to train together. Is for us to elevate each other. You know, like um, I, you know, I said in after I said I've said today. You know, it's not about comparing ourselves to the best in Britain or Europe. It's about showing that our jiu-jitsu is um, world stage ability. You know, we should, or, you know, we should be on those big stages in in the states. And um, the only way for us to do that is to stop imagining we're in a small pool. You know, we're not, we're not, we're not big fish in a small pond. That's not, that's not the reality of what's going on. And I think that's the biggest thing I, I've changed in my belief this year. And after the match, I spoke to Tom and said, "Man, let's just, let's just train. You know, let's train together, and we, we'll just learn and we'll get better, and we'll only progress because of it." That makes complete sense, and that would be a good room between the two of you. Um, we're going to get to your training in just a second because I've seen it in, in, in a number of different uh, photos, not just from you, but I saw Tom making his way over there, and I was really pissed at him because I don't know if you know this, but Tom and I at a certain point were at similar levels, and then every time I saw him train with you, I was like, I don't, I may not be able to catch that up. That's that's getting a little bit higher than I want it to be. And he's like, no, man, ref, we've had these great roles together. And I'm like, mm, I don't trust you. I don't trust what the Williams boys are doing with you, bro. Um, I do want to ask, though. So obviously that is coming up next, which is combat jiu-jitsu. I guess the question is, what appeals to you about the element of combat jiu-jitsu? Because everything else seems to be perfectly aligned in the realm of competing at that 145 that does not seem like a mistake given adcc you working on your wrestling is not a mistake that is you getting ready for a goal so obviously adcc has been pushed so you know slapping people in so, the face isn't exactly getting you ready for adcc no i understand okay so let's be honest about it. you know you get a message of eddie bravo hey bro do you want in you're like right what what are we you know what are we get into and he goes you know, he sent me the link to the promo for Combat Jiu-Jitsu. I was like, ah, man, like, that doesn't really fit into the, you know, the, the, the where, we're, where we're going right now. You know, where the, where the goal's at. Uh, this is a kind of like a side quest. You know, it's off on the side. It's off tangent. And it's something we maybe don't need to do. But then he says, it's in Mexico. And I go, whoa, now we're talking. You know, like, that's a cool trip already. You know, like, the UK's been horrendous through 2020 you know like a lot has been shut my business has suffered massively you know we haven't managed to do the normal things we do throughout the year i've had loads of trips cancelled loads of matches cancelled so i was like you know it gives us a chance to get away that was that, that was kind of the first thing then the second thing i was like well when else am i going to compete like when else am i actually going to compete 
this year if I don't take matches. Yeah, okay, I, I get slapped in the face, but you know, we're still doing jiu-jitsu and it still puts me in the build-up and the camp feeling and the physical feeling of someone opposite me where I've got to control my nerves, control my adrenaline and everything else. You know, so realistically, it, w- it was more about keeping match fit and getting ready for a, a, build, a big start to next year because if I didn't have anything else planned this year, I could potentially get lazy uh, now because it's getting really cold in the UK and a bit miserable. It's dark. Uh, until quite late in the morning and it's dark really early in the afternoon you know there's, there's more darkness than there's light right now so uh, it'd be really easy for me just to take the gas off completely and probably eat a bit too much chill out still train hard but you know but not be match fit and competition ready for when the matches start coming back around early next year so we thought you know it's an extra opportunity to give myself a run out and you know if we look at my game stylistically it's not terrible for combat jiu-jitsu. You know, I, I love top game. I've fought MMA before. I, I, you know, I've dealt with strikes um, whilst rolling. I do a lot of ground and pound rolling with my MMA students, um, Aiden James and a few other guys. Like, you know, they compete at a good MMA level. And I, 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 I train with them all the time. So I don't feel like I'm unready for it. And if you look at the field, you know, it's a quite a diverse field in terms of there's some kind of poor grapplers, you know, some guys who, you know, you're just going to really have a grappling match with. And there's some MMA guys who are probably going to try and hit you in the face. But then you would flip it, you know, you, you, you draw an MMA guy, well, you go after their feet, you know, you just go after the legs and you just hunt them hard, you try to put them away with the submission. You know, you get a jiu-jitsu guy and I just go, right, well, I'll just go top game and try and slap him. You know, I'll try and hit him in the face. And, you know, like that, it, it, for me, it's just a case of, I wasn't going to get anything else for the end of this year. No way was I going to earn another payday from competing. And so I, I almost, almost, I would say to someone, why wouldn't you do it? You know, I'd almost say to someone, why wouldn't you just jump in there and, and have a run? You know, the worst going to happen is I'm going to get slapped in the face. Um, but, you know, I do a physical combat sport all the time. So I, I'm looking forward to a new challenge. It's a different thing. Um, you know, I hang on a half the wrestle. I'm not, put, I'm not pulling guard. I can tell you that, you know. So, it, you know, in terms of ADCC, like it does keep some of the goals quite good because it, it makes me wrestle, it makes me stay top. And um, I got to be honest, I'm just looking forward to a, a nice little scuffle. You know, like it'd be nice to, uh, like to me, my competition year is kind of like ended now. Like, the, like Polaris was the pinnacle to this year. You know, that's that's done. I've 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 beaten an ADCC qualifier, uh, beating competition world champion. I mean, that's all good. Um, but then when it comes to <laughs> when it comes to um, combat jiu-jitsu worlds it's just a case of it's almost like a sunday league, sunday football match you know some um i don't know if you have them in the states but you know you have a kick around with the boys you've got some fun um i don't really think anyone's going to take the result of combat jiu-jitsu worlds as whether you are a good grappler or not I mean, that's not really i think it's spectator friendly it's fun and people just enjoy it for what it is it's not about going like oh my god he's a way better grappler than this guy because you won a slapping contest you know like that's that's how I feel about it. You know, I, I think it's a it's an interesting format, and I'm looking forward to taking part in it. Um, but if I was studying grappling, would that be the show I watched? No, I'd watch Third Coast or um, EB, uh, normal EBIs. You know, even like they they were fantastic. You know, I've taken part in them, and they were brilliant. But who doesn't want to answer the call to Eddie Bravo and say yes? Makes sense. Like I said, you know, I'm I'm sure that. Uh... You know, obviously you have your share of uh, getting in opportunities when things are harder to find. Um, yeah. So you get the call from Polaris, obviously, yes. 
you get the call from combat jiu-jitsu it's obviously a yes i just like the fact that my initial instinct just given how driven i see you and and watching your stories and watching your posts i just know what's on your mind so when i say uh -huh. you know hey adcc's got to be there you know it's not surprising me to, to hear you respond like that because i know that even if i were to say like hey man you want to go grab a beer you'd be like it's not really in the ADCC plan, Raph. Um, Unfortunately, that's exactly what I'm like. <laughs> but like, I, like, I've been so vocal about it and so honest, man. ADCC is my goal. Like, that's where I want to be. And I do genuinely believe that if I get the shot and if I get there, then I could cause an upset. Because even though I, I'm winning stuff and I'm beating guys who have been in ADCC before, somehow people still don't understand what I'm about and what I'm capable of. So... Uh, I think ADCC is the perfect proving ground, and it's it's the proving ground where people can't um, you, you can't hide from the reality, can they? If you if you win in ADCC, man, or if you mad ADCC, you're legit the best in the world. You know, there's always a oh, but this rule said oh, but this oh, there's an excuse for this. ADCC, there's no excuse. Everyone wants it. Everyone's hungry. It's every two years. Everyone knows the score. You know, and the fact it's been delayed just means that I'm going to be that much better when it comes round. Let's talk about the lockdown and, um, you know, here in the States, we've had one major lockdown. You guys essentially ahead of us got out and now it looks like you're going back into another one. I want to start at the very beginning. Can you tell us and take us back to your initial thoughts when you guys were starting to lock down the first time? So, so the first time in March, we, we did six months uh, lockdown the first time. Um, Business-wise, it was terrible. The gym suffered massively. You know, we lost like 30% of our students. Um, it was a tough time financially. But um, I said like, I just wanted to lose people lockdown. I feel like it could have swung either way for a lot of people. You know, I, I really feel like the first two, three weeks, I treated like a holiday. I got up to like 77, 78 kilograms. I was heavy, but not a good way, like not hench or looking good. I was just uh, a bit chubby and not feeling great, you know, just slouching about. Um, but after that, then I was like, you know what? Like, this, just stop this. Let's just make sure when, we're, when we get a phone call or when, you know, stuff starts opening back up, I'm ready to go. So I immediately started training, started lifting a lot of weights, started running. Um, and then once the team kind of started melting out and a lot of the other guys were kind of willing to break the rules because you know it, it was essentially it was just breaking the rules it wasn't it wasn't skirting around them it wasn't like trying to find the gray area it was just legit just five of us meet up at the gym sparring rounds every day um totally against the government guidelines um but you know it, it was because it was mainly because i the fight twins and stuff like that started happening back out in texas and i was watching them and i was like oh boy this is this is going to fry me. I can't watch these guys compete every weekend when I'm not even training. So, you know, we started meeting up every day and then five became 10 of us and then 15 and then things started to loosen out a little bit and like pro athletes were out to train and other stuff. Um, but all in all, we probably didn't train properly for about a month and then only a couple of us trained for about four to six weeks. But after about two months of lockdown, um, pretty much the main pro team, one of the, the best competitors in the gym came back together to train. Um, and then since then, it was it was weird because we started this pro this pro training class um, when the first lockdown kind of started breaking up, and they were like, "Right, you can start traveling again." You know, like our gym, the business had to stay shut, and we couldn't run classes, but we were allowed to travel and start training again. Um, 
and then we had guys traveling down from Bristol, Cardiff, London, like guys from everywhere training, traveling down. We were training for three hours uh, every morning from like 10 o'clock till one. And we trained and it was grueling and it was great, man. Like the atmosphere on the mats, like 20, 30 of us. Um, and it just carried on. So we haven't stopped. So every single day now, um, 10 o'clock, 10.30, we all meet up. We roll for about an hour, to hour and a half. Then we all either lift weights or do cardio together or conditioning. Uh, we got a sauna at the gym. We all just chill in sauna half hour, bit of banter flying around, you know, like in terms of training atmosphere and uh, attitude, I think it's the best it's ever been. And I don't actually think it would have been like this unless lockdown happened. It's mm. the truth. Um, but, you know, if, a lot of other stuff suffered because of lockdown. You know, I haven't had the amount, amount of matches I needed this year. You know, I haven't had uh, the business growth, which we were expecting this year. You know, we've suffered in a lot of ways. Um, but, I, you know, you can always sit around when it comes to stuff like this and feel sorry for yourself or suffer uh, or not make adaptations to it. Um, like I said, we have broken, uh, I've broken a lot of rules when it comes to my own um, personal needs for, for training and other purposes. But then, you know, when you've got 100 people messaging you the next day saying, man, it was awesome to watch you last night. You're telling me I shouldn't be training, you know, like, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. You know, like I've got a job to do and, and it gives other people purpose and other people something to look forward to. And um, I definitely think that uh, for shows and, and other stuff to be running right now is massively positive for a lot of people, you know? So I'm really grateful that I managed to compete and I don't feel any worse off than I ever have. Uh, I said training is brilliant and um, the squad is feeling the best I've ever felt. When comps open up back next year, uh, the squad's ready to go. So it should be really good. Did you receive any criticism because you obviously weren't really hiding it? I know there wasn't as big of a social media push with it, but people are very quick and prone to saying like, hey, you're not supposed to be doing this. Yeah. Were you receiving any of that? Oh, 100%. You know, we, we had a I, – I did say to the boys, you know, let's just be sensible on no social media. You know, let's not uh, highlight the fact that we are, um, you know, not following the, the guidelines. Uh, but at the same time, you know, I, I was speaking to some of my friends and friends from other cities and, and wherever else. And and they were like, oh, man, you shouldn't be doing that. And I was like, oh, cool. I was like, so so have you lost your job? And they were like, no, 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 no. I've just worked from home. I've got my full pay. You know, if anything, life's a little bit easier. Now I get to see my other half more. And I was like, so how can you sit there and tell me how I should live my life? Like, you're telling me the government should help me out. And they didn't. You know, we, we, we got less than one month's revenue for the gym. Know, one less than one month and we were shut for six you know we were shut for six and, and i i got 10 coaches i have to pay there's 11 members of staff in my gym uh that all work there full time i had to pay every single one of them for six months and we did we paid them the whole full pay with, with zero support for their pay and you know like i and i got other people then telling me like oh i shouldn't be going to train and i'm like bro you've no idea what you're talking about like I'm not saying you're wrong in terms of, the, you know, a lot of people should not be just doing anything they want. But the only place I'm going, I sit in my house all day. Then I leave, I go to the gym, I train with like three people, drive home, sit in my house. I don't go to the shops. I don't go see my family, you know. And I was happy with that. I was happy just to meet the, the same three people every day and just train and roll. So that I was ready to compete and I was, wasn't was falling behind. And, um, you know, I, I have discussed with a lot of people in terms of lockdown and I'm not saying it needs to be a case by case basis, but common sense needs to prevail. You know, like uh, you, you, we actually had we we had a member of the squad. Uh, the other half tested positive for coronavirus, and we all immediately got tested. We all isolated. 
you know, it's, it's not like we're just messing around. We're not just being like, ah, it don't matter. Let's just, you know, we'll hug and it don't matter if we all get corona. That's not that's not what we're doing. You know, we're we're training properly. We're we're doing the correct procedures that need to be done. And um, you know, because of it, I feel like we're not going to be left behind. Uh, America have got a very very different attitude when it comes to stuff like this. Uh, I'm friends with a lot of guys from America on Facebook and that, and some of their posts are are a bit wild. Um, you know, I feel like they don't really follow much protocol at all. You know, and almost to the point where they're they're going out of their way to not follow protocol, which is not what I was doing. I feel like I was trying to do the best I could given the situation. That makes sense. And listen, don't ever look to us for trying to be smart about things. We're uh, very, <laughs> very prone here in the United States to say, I believe this a hundred percent to the point where I will do things that cause harm to me just to prove and stick it to you. Yeah, uh, I man, I always say that I absolutely love the states, and it, they're my favorite. When I go, they're my favorite trips. But when I leave, I am happy. <laughs> you know, <laughs> when I'm on my way home, I'm like, yeah, it's nice to get out of that, out of that place, man. They're crazy people. <laughs> so uh, yeah, like I come for a month or whatever, then I come home and I'm like, oh, it's nice to be back to normality. I completely understand, and listen, I I think that it's always funny because you are coming to see us as a visitor. But, you know, most of the times when we have visitors, they're here for maybe a couple days, whatever. You're here for a whole month. So you you get that whole, like, honeymoon era that ends very quickly where you see, oh, no, this is as shitty as we are. Yeah, we were nice to you for days. two days, yeah, but yeah. now fuck off, dude. The first few days, you're like, oh, the food's incredible. This is mad. I'm loving it. And then after, like, a week, you're like, oh, man, I just need, I just need like, some normal British food. I need some just normal company, you know, like. Um, but. I do love the States, man, but uh, we'll see now. Oh, I'm hoping to get back out there as soon as possible, as soon as possible. Absolutely. I mean, we're all trying to keep a very positive attitude about things that could be coming. Uh, you know, hopefully things change very near in the future. I would ask you this, though. I did see that you were starting to do almost like online coaching, and I know that a lot of that was uh, through having openness to saying, all right, listen, we have to find workarounds. We have to be smart about that. How did that yeah. come about, and what we, what were you finding uh, as you were doing it? I feel like the, the first month, so the first six weeks, so we actually kept the majority of our memberships until third month in a lockdown. And I think at that point, people started to understand that this isn't a thing that's just going to go overnight, you know? So the first six weeks was really successful. We had a lot of classes online, Zoom classes, where there were solo drills or video analysis and other stuff. Um, and, you know, they, they did go really well and people were enjoying them. But the... the for me, the, the, the baseline of jiu-jitsu, the, the biggest selling point of jiu-jitsu is the fact that you can competitively spar it every day. That's what that's what I think jiu-jitsu is, is the, the selling point. That's what everyone loves it for. You learn something, and then all of a sudden you're trying it on a fully resistant opponent. And that's what the lockdown obviously um, took away. You know, as easy people say, oh, it's adapt and that, you know, but you can't get people paying the proper prices for jiu-jitsu when you can't give them proper jiu-jitsu you know so we we voluntarily um reduced our membership our memberships to the lowest membership we could possibly afford whilst keeping ourselves afloat um and they were happy with that but i said after the three months you know a lot of people were like i don't see how you're going to come back you know i don't really see how we're going to get back to jiu-jitsu so um they cancelled after that time and i don't really blame them you know it's not their fault it's, it's the, the government's fault i suppose um but you know, we were offering a lot of classes and, and the numbers were dropping and dropping and dropping. And I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't be sitting in front of my computer for two hours a night just watching someone 
do stepping drills on a chair. Like, man, like, that's not, that's not what I signed up for, you know? Like, um, that's not what jiu-jitsu, that's not what sells jiu-jitsu. Jiu-jitsu is fun because you physically do it, you know? You physically manhandle or get manhandled. Either way, I always say winning and losing in jiu-jitsu, I'm still glad I did jiu-jitsu. So, um, you know, we're back open tomorrow. We've been shut down again for two weeks now. Um, but So we're back open tomorrow, which is exciting. So we'll have our students back on the mats. And the craziest thing is, is the gyms never been busier. When we reopened after the six months, uh, the amount of inquiries for new starters and everything else we had was insane. Like getting messages after message and message um, about joining. And we're like, you do know there's been a pandemic, you know, and, and they're not really advising physical contact right now. And everyone's like, yeah, yeah, so when can I sign up? <laughs> like okay well you know but but i think it just shows the fact that everyone everyone's ready to move forward everyone's ready to take the risks everyone's ready to um kind of start pushing back to the normality you know so we've still got a lot of students who haven't returned yet but you know they still say you know they're definitely going to when things quieten down if they work uh with the elderly or people who are vulnerable etc um but yeah the mats have been absolutely rammed since we reopened so tomorrow i'm expecting a, a full house again I think you put it a nice way, but I think the most coherent way to say is we all got fat and I think we're all just looking to find a way to do it. And what better way to lose part of that fat than training with a madman like you? Because I want to point something out here. Now, I told you very briefly that there was a photo you put up and I, I wanted to meme it. I've never done this before yeah. mostly because I've uh, I've never really workshopped a joke, but I wanted to ask you. <laughs> Because I'm going to add this photo on here so people can see it. I guess yeah. the, the, the initial joke I had or the question I had is, like, how good is your pre-workout that you're drinking that you end up making that face? Like, look at that man and look at the intensity on him. And I just thought, Jesus Christ, Ash. So we got we got mirrors directly in front of us when we left, <laughs> and, and one of our one of the lads, uh, Chris Rosita, is uh, kind of a resident photographer, and uh, he you know he keeps things going. Um, so like the whole squad's there when we left as well, you know, and like, we're always trying to like push the weight up week by week. Um, so it, it really does get intense fast in the room, you know, the music's going and everyone's like, yeah, let's go, let's go, and everyone's like pushing you to, to get it done. Um, you got you know we probably just had about. 10 to 15 five minute rounds before this as well um but weights is something i've never been i've never enjoyed you know i've never i've never found the fun side of lifting weights so when i go to lift i've always got to be my headspace has got to be good i've got to like attack the bar i've got to come after it and be like no like i'm getting this set i'm getting these reps in it's getting done you know so i try to uh, I try to just go boof, like straight stone cold, like, yeah, man, we are getting this done so we can earn our sauna, we can earn like our protein shake after this um, and we can get the rest of the day done. You know, like um, it's not my most enjoyable hour of the day, uh, but I definitely feel the benefits of it. So I am grateful. I think that is something both you and I share, which is during the coronavirus, when my options were limited as well. I also had to change my training. I wasn't training jiu-jitsu every day. That's usually my magic trick to not be obese. So then, uh, you know, I, I reached out to one of my friends who does uh, strength uh, and conditioning training. And I said, listen, dude, I don't like any of this. I actively <laughs> hate this. And yet I started doing it because I said, I have to do something physical. I have to do something that yeah. keeps me there. And I go, and you know what I always have neglected is my lower back. 
I just kind of deal with that shit. So my theory is if you guys are so good at preventative sort of strength and conditioning, if I do it right, maybe it'll alleviate some of the pain on my back. So when I'm rolling, I'm not like a cryptic old man continuously. That's actually how I changed my viewpoint on lifting. It wasn't a case of lifting to get strong. It was a case of lifting so that my body could be more resilient when I trained jiu-jitsu. You know, so I was like stronger to the clashes, to the collisions, um, you know, and I, I could physically adapt a lot quicker in situations. Um, I'm following a program uh, by a guy called Tom O'Hagan. Uh, he runs um, a thing called the Grapple Machine. Uh, and, you know, the whole squad is on it and, and we're all kind of pushing every day. Uh, but, you know, I, I'm going to keep it consistent because um, it's nice to see the results. You know, like results are always... Um, I'm not chasing numbers. I'm not chasing a certain goal. Uh, I'm just trying to keep being just the best version of me, you know, and that's what I think that too many people are fixated on. Like Tom said, is it Tom said himself in his interview, you know, Tom, Tom Hartman, he said, you know, I'm not focused on him. I'm focused on myself. And that's, that's, that's the perfect way to be. That is, you're not running the race against them. You're running the race against yourself, you know? So, um, everything I've got to do, I'm, I'm going to do, you know, and that's, and you know, we've, we've gone over now. The goal is ADCC. So that's the race I'm running. I'm just going to make sure I got this right. Cause that's a colloquialism that we don't really say a ton. You said I'm foxing me. I'm not foxing him. What is foxing it? Right. Like running a race, running a race. There we go. You're, okay. You're running a race against yourself. You know, you're not, you're not chasing them. Uh, have you seen that picture? There's a really good photo of um, swimmers, and there's two swimmers, and one guy's in front, and one's behind, and the guy in second's looking at the guy in first, and the guy in first is looking forward. You know, and I think like photos like that, um, you couldn't, you can't recreate them. You know, I don't think, I don't think they should be created. You know, you capture those moments of people, um, how they truly feel. You know, and, and you're not chasing. You know, you're just you're going forward, and that's the main thing. I'm glad I figured that out, but for a split second, I said, I don't know if they're calling. Uh, <laughs> footy soccer sometimes i just have to double check these things because i understand it we have our differences on how we do i would Uh, ask you this though look at this because you have a a, an excellent photographer that you guys have capture moments but i would say there are some moments much like that pre-workout look in your face that i just put out a second ago where i think listen dude you're a sadistic human being look at the amount of joy that photo was so out of context when when me and jamie were actually laughing at each other i was like i was just like you want some and he was like you can't finish it and i was like ah <laughs> <So> like, <laughs> we were just joking at that point but he happened to capture it, it looks like i look like the most sadistic human in the world <laughs> Because I'm staring at some of these photos, and I think, dude, you guys have an amazing photographer. Like, some of these things are so epically well captured. But then I see something like this, and I go, oh, my God. Ash is exactly the beast that I think he he sends like a link to like a Google Drive like every couple of days of like a, a new album of photos and that, and you know like the squad can like rifle through it. But all of them always seem to be like when we're out most intense and when everyone's like gripped up fully and everyone's te- like the veins are popping out of us. Like you never really get the photos of us like in between rounds where we're laughing or joking or having fun with each other. You know, so, <laughs> um, it does. It's interesting content, and, and I think he's uh you know captures some really good stuff. Well, I mean, I thought that this is probably one of the better memes that I have seen, but I also have to give them credit and you credit, I think, probably for 
putting up what this is because I think you so nicely encapsulate what we refer to as ADCC style, which is the without rash guard. Now, again, I assume doing it sans rash guard is probably again for prep for ADCC. Everybody has to get one thing straight, which is all jujitsu is gross, but without rash guards is it a special kind of gross. I actually stole this one off uh, Gil Colemney Smith. She put it on her story um, on Instagram. I was like, "That is gold. That is going up," you know. But um, uh, you know, you just gotta take the, the jujitsu is fun. Like it's fun. Yeah, it is gross. I understand that. But uh, you gotta learn to laugh at yourself as well. You gotta learn to not be so serious. You know, something I've been uh, accused of in over the last few years. You know, especially when I was just up and coming and I was taking matches that were really out of my depth and I was trying to push myself harder and, and better. But, you know, once you've, I've settled in a little bit now and I feel like I can have more fun with jujitsu and enjoy the lifestyle a lot more, um, you know, I'll try to try to my social media content to be a bit more chilled and, and relaxed. Um, but that one was brilliant. You know, like uh, we, we do train a lot without rash guards on, um, especially in the summer, because like only it just gets so, so slippery, you know, and ridiculous. Um, we actually had Bradley Hill come down uh, and train just before the first squads, the Nogi squads that we did. Um and he literally, we were wrestling and like he fell over and then he tried to like arm drag me and I flew across the mat somewhere. And he was like, no wonder why you're so good to scramble in. He's like, you can't, you can't stand up on this shit, man. It's like an ice rink. And I was like, ah, oh, bro, it's like this every single day, you know, like in the summer, it just gets mad. But only the pro sessions, you know, in, in the, in the gen- generic classes, it's, it's all good, man. Like the, the, the class is more chilled. But in the pro classes, we, we just push everyone to the limits, you know, and, uh, and the vibe is so good. I think, People come out like people dread going to it, but they come out with feeling fantastic. That's the right approach. But I did notice one thing that you had usually across the chest, which was uh, you, is that like monitor. a monitor, right? So, yeah. how much are you monitoring that? Because I got this, which is the whoop, and this has literally changed my whole perception of how I'm looking at my training sessions. Yeah, so I'm gonna do. I'm gonna actually change the whoop next year. I'm gonna. I'm gonna put. Uh, get it for January going forward. Uh, the primary reason I actually started it because I do. Um, I use my fitness pal to track my calorie intake, uh, especially if I want to cut a little bit of weight. You know, ADCC 66. So I need to keep my body weight down a little bit. Naturally, if I'm eating kind of comfortably, I, I kind of flow up to 73, 74. Um, but you know, if I just keep a general good diet, I can stay at 70 kilos, which is that's pretty good for ADCC. You know, because like the four kilos is nothing. Um, so I only started actually wearing it just to see generically how many calories I was hitting out in one of those sessions, you know, so I, just, I was wearing it for the two, three hours we were training. Um, and it wasn't really, uh, a case of, I had to get the data every day. It was, I wanted to know in myself, like how much roughly was my intense sessions put me through, you know, because, you know, some guys might be like, oh, I eat 1800 calories, you know, some guys might be two and a half thousand, you know, but realistically you know without data or anything backing it up like uh, how do you possibly know what you should or shouldn't be in you know um so i only did it for that reason because i said the first three weeks of lockdown i stepped on the scales the heaviest i've ever stepped on the scales we were we were literally just making fudge and cookies and brownies every day like literally every day just eating wow. trays of fudge and i was like this is getting gross <laughs> just watching films <laughs> just eat, like look at myself in the mirror and i was like what's wrong with you as i'm eating the fudge <laughs> so, i was like uh so i had to stop man I and mean, we, we just like being there everything bad we, we we did a like healthy food shop like right Let's just track some calories again. Let's get back to what we do. It doesn't mean you can't eat good stuff. You know, it doesn't mean you can't have fun and, and enjoy like 
cheat meals or dirty food uh, quite frequently, but it just means that you just, uh, you know, you're doing better for your health. You know, I feel way better when I'm eating healthy as well. I, I feel physically and mentally so much better. Yeah, I think during Corona, I gained about 23, 24 pounds, which not great for my frame. I'm already like a little over where I need to be, but I like to tell people, I'm like, I'm right in a pocket of what I call acceptable fat. If I go over that, it's not great. And uh, <laughs> But the one thing I try to do when I was coming down was I changed my eating. I, I got a little bit of workouts in. Yeah. But I think the main thing I was doing was I said, I'm not going to deny myself of having things because that's a crazy person thing. I'm not well, competing on crazy things. I got to do it. That's unhealthy. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. You know, I, I fast. I fast for a lot. So I fast. Usually I only eat for eight hours a day. Um, and it's nothing to do with the fact that I feel like fasting is like a miracle uh, weight loss thing. It's just the fact that if I like to eat, I like to eat. You know, I like to have a proper meal. I don't want to sit down and have like a tiny little salad with some chicken. Mm-hmm. If I'm going to eat, I want to eat a big proper meal with a good dessert, you know. So, like, I'd rather eat two meals, two big, nice full meals a day than have five really terrible small things still making me feel hungry, you know. So, usually I just don't eat from the night before and then I train. And then when I get back, then I just start eating and I can pretty much eat whatever I want then in that time frame. So note to competitors at Combat Jiu-Jitsu, at weigh-ins, bring fudge <laughs> in front no, of That's crazy. I actually had fudge in my bag from one of the girls at the gym made fudge. And when I weighed in at Polaris, I literally drank some water and then just had some fudge. <laughs> I like the, the first sustenance you need is, no, bring me my fudge. It was <laughs> I had some fudge and I, then, I, then I smashed a, a foot-long subway. <laughs> I just love the idea of most people like, you know, I, I attribute, you don't look like a fat human being at all, but that's like the ultimate fat kid power move. I'm being like, I weighed in, I'm looking good. Bring me my fudge. Oh, uh, you know? we were, uh, uh, that, the, me and my brother, we went a bit overboard on Friday eating. Like we had like, we were stuck in a hotel room. So we just like ordered room service, then ordered like a McDonald's, then uh, TJ Fridays. <laughs> and we were just sitting there with boxes and stuff around. And I was just like, oh. <laughs> well you know it proves all of those those hard nights and hard days in the gym pay off man yeah. all right dude well we've gone longer than we should have but i just always find chatting with you that enjoyable i do want to give you the opportunity to go ahead and shout out sponsors shout out your team shout out anybody you want to you have the floor sir so go right That's ahead right, and do it uh, as always man it's tommy fight where uh yeah they've been really promised since day one so i always appreciate it with them uh my actual my welsh dragon rash guard is dropping um tomorrow uh, i'm picking up they've come in now so uh the signature rash guard i wear that'll be coming in tomorrow without the williams on the back so i'm looking forward to getting them out and about and anywhere in the world really uh obviously my team my family uh, they all all know how much I appreciate their support. Uh, Grapple Machine have been great uh, with their programming. Chris Reseda with his photography man, like everyone in my camp, just you know, everyone was helping. Is uh, I couldn't do without. You know, my my brother and my wife are probably the closest people to me who helped me through everything. And I always say to competitors, you know, if competitors are doing it without the support system around them, um, man, you are mind blowing because I don't really understand how someone could do it without the support network. You know, like I'm really grateful for them. And uh, obviously, hopefully, if I make it to where I want to make it, then I'll be able to repay them back. If I don't make it to where I want to make it, then we kind of put all our eggs in one basket and it, it kind of went wrong. But, you know. 
I think you'll be okay. Uh, I will tell you, though, uh, I very much look forward to you getting the whoop, and we'll invite you to your, our team that we have. The reason being is I just want someone whose results are going to get sent to me and then make me feel so immediately bad that I'm going to have to go train. <laughs> like, the amount that you are putting it in training, I'm going to have to look at that and be like, oh, fuck. He lost, like, more calories just sitting down than I do working out. <laughs> oh. So... Uh, we definitely look forward to that. Well, Ash, I thank you very much for your time. Huge grads to you because it was a great match. I really enjoy you. I really enjoy Tom. I just thought you guys put together a really, really fun moment at Polaris 15. Thanks, Raph. I appreciate it. All right, everybody. We will be right back just after this. All right, ladies and gents, my next guest, you can tell, will be a good guest. Why do I know that? Because you can't see the view that I have. The view that I have previews what his camera looks like, and he is currently drinking off camera. So you can't see that happening. Now, granted, there is cause for celebration. Yesterday, he won in beast mode-like fashion at the So Gee Invitational or the tournament. I don't know exactly what they call it. Every time I see it, So Gee on my newsfeed, I think to myself, don't call it No Gee. When you're on air, don't call it the Nogi Invitational. That would sound like an idiot host. However, this young man has put together an impressive resume. Not only was he out there yesterday, but he was out in the realm of training with the Danher Death Squad. And it looks like they also had more reason to celebrate as now everybody is just raining black belts there. So who knows? Things could be changing very soon for this young man as well. But I'm very pleased to bring on for the very first time today, all-in owner, all-in BJJ owner, and uh, a purple belt under Gary and John Danaher. Let's go ahead and bring on one, Damian Anderson. Damian, how are you doing, sir? Thanks for having me, man. I'm doing well. You know, I'm happy that uh, happy that I won yesterday. Happy that Taza got his black belt. Ethan and Nikki got their black belt. So, I mean, it's pretty good good uh, week for the team overall. Absolutely, man. It's uh, it's super nice. A lot of cause for celebration. And I have to ask, because you were drinking a bottle beverage of some sort. What are you drinking? I don't even know. It's uh, Twisted Monkey, I guess it's called. Uh, one of my buddies picked it up, and uh, we we're just casually sipping on this. Okay. All right. I, do you often yeah, do I interviews? I don't, I don't even drink, to be honest. This is literally the first beer that I've had in like maybe a month. Yeah, I was kind of figuring that because you have a certain way that you hold it that leads me to believe, all right, he's a white belt at this. But <laughs> having said that, I I just I'm curious, did you feel the need to celebrate because all right, you know, it's a casual day, you haven't drank in a month, uh, you're kind of celebrating uh the black belt for Taza, the celebration of the win that you had to prolong because you had to train this morning and teach. Um I don't even know. My To be honest, my buddy just picked them up and he was like, you want to have a beer? And I was like, sure, let's have one. Yeah, haven't had one in a minute. So. All right. Easy to peer pressure. <laughs> I'll remember that one. Exactly. I just want to be cool, man. I just want to fit in. Sorry, kid. In. Once we get around to the cigarettes, you're going to be uh, smokes. Yeah, but, yeah, uh, exactly. That's the next step. It is the next step, man. Well, first and foremost, I see you all the time competing. I... And always uh, very impressed with what you do. I see the highlights out this way. But I wanted to ask, how did you get involved with the Sogi Invitational yesterday? So Sogi, um, I actually had a bet match with um, – so Sogi was at, I believe it's called 10th Planet Long Island. Mm -hmm. um, and the head instructor there, his name is Stephen Caston. Uh, he's a black belt. And I actually had a bet match with him about a month ago, maybe a little bit over a month ago. And then uh, 
I ended up submitting him in about 20 minutes. I was a no time sub only match, and then he invited me out to uh, this one. Um, he, he's like close with the uh, with the owner of it or something. That's pretty cool. I mean, okay, I guess I have to ask because it stems from on top, but where does your inclination to want to do these sub only no time limit cash prize sort of things? Because to me, dude, I'm a compulsive gambler and in my rooms, not your rooms, I am known as uh, heavily defensive and hard to submit. So I would put money on that. Cause I'm like, dude, they'll just be so bored that they'll fucking <laughs> give me the money. So I think I've got a good shot here. Where does it come from for your interest as a competitor? Um, well, to be honest, it, it definitely comes from the training room that I'm in every day. You know, when you have guys like, you know, Gary and Gordon and Nikki, uh, Ethan that are constantly trying to submit you, um, you get pretty, pretty confident in your submission defense. Now, if there's a submission or no time limit submission only, and you know, the only way out is going to be if somebody gets submitted, um, I'm pretty much always willing to bet money on myself that I won't get submitted, and eventually I'll find a submission. It might not, might not be a quick submission. Um, you know, right now my submissions aren't to the level of Nikki or Ethan or Gary yet, um, but I'm definitely confident in my submission defense. So it's only a matter of time before I end up getting, you know, the upper hand in winning. Yeah, I totally, I totally understand that. And I, I, you know, had somebody today who went through two buzzers with me. And I looked at him and I said, are you willing to fully commit to this? Because I think it's well established. I'll stay here as long as we need to. I'll move things. I'll literally take a moment. If you give me my phone, we'll clear up the schedule. And I just do that because I like finality to things. I hate when people either are talking trash or there's no sense of end to it. We know it's going to prolong or it's a point or it's a decision sort of a thing. So it's something that I very much appreciate for athletes who do it it's just how much was that original bet match for so originally actually so that bet match was only it was supposed to be it was supposed to be called the steven casting challenge so three people were supposed to put up three hundred dollars um and then they'd win three hundred dollars so it was like you know put up three hundred win three hundred and there was three people lining up to fight steven casting um, they couldn't find three people. So it was supposed to be me and this guy, Andrew Cockle, who's like another, um, I mean, he's pretty local. Uh, so it was supposed to be us two. So then I tried to up it up to 500 bucks. Uh, and then he accepted 500 bucks. Um, and then Andrew pulled out. So then since it was only me and me and Steven, I was like, Hey, let's just do a thousand bucks. Let's put up a, you know, a flat grand and then the winner takes all. And then I, I ended up winning. I mean, all things considered, first and foremost, congratulations on that. The second thing is, all you kids betting your stimulus money on uh, these uh, no time limit matches, it's just something uh, very fun to watch for the rest of the economy. I would say this. So that was the first version of you getting involved. So he brings you back yesterday. Now, what was the competition like yesterday, sir? Um. So, I mean, there's definitely some tough guys. There was a UFC fighter, Brian Kelleher, in there. There's some... Um, I think uh, JT Torres Black Belt, I think his name's Andrew Franco. You know, some guys that I've seen before. Um, there's a, a guy that I had in the semifinal, or actually quarterfinals. Um, I think his name's Samson. He's another tough guy that I've seen compete. Uh, I think he's from Virginia. So it was like local tough guys. I wasn't too afraid of um, their submissions, per se, but um, getting dragged out to regulation or out of regulation into overtime. That's something that I was definitely kind of, uh, you know, a little bit worried about. 
I actually had um, some nagging injuries. I, I hurt my foot, uh, you know, about a month ago. And had some little bit of shoulder problems, nothing crazy, just like some nagging injury. So I was worried that somebody might just grab my grab my leg and, you know, rip an Achilles lock. So I was trying to really not do do as many leg entanglements. If anything, I wanted it, wanted it to be me attacking their legs, not me counter leg locking. One thing that uh, many people don't really know about me is that my passing game pretty much is off of counter leg locks. I, I like people, you know, attacking Ashigaramis. I do back steps off of that and stuff like that. Um, but I couldn't really play that game for this tournament because my right foot was a little bit banged up. I mean, it's fine now, but I was kind of worried about it. So not only are you competing, but you're competing to make your medical bills get paid for as well. I understand it. It's, it's a rough economy <laughs> it's a out there. It's a tough life, man. It's a tough <laughs> It is a tough world out there. But hey, man, it sounded like it went great. Um, I read your post, and I understand there is a high level of expectation in it. You know, you're obviously self-critical. And again, I can say with perspective, but I also understand as somebody who is highly self-critical of my own work, it's hard to sometimes see it. What I would ask, though, is what were you proud about what you did yesterday? Um, so I definitely felt yesterday um, I was really efficient with my movements. There was never really a point in time where I was worried that my gas tank was empty and that my opponent was still, you know, still had something left and could dig deep or something. I always felt that I was always the person with the more with uh, with more energy. So I was always able to slowly increase the workload. Um, so if you watch the matches towards the end of the matches, you'll see me slowly start to pick it up and, um, you know, attack my opponents more. Um, that was something that I was really happy about. I mean, the first first round, I ended up submitting the guy in, I think, less than a minute. So I was happy about that. And uh, that's pretty much where, where it stops. I was really upset that, you know, two rounds ended up going to overtime. Granted, I did submit them in overtime. When um, when you have, like, yeah, again, that, that level of expectation, like, I'll, I want to prove that I'm a, a better grappler than, than these guys. I want to prove that I'm a different level uh, than these guys. Uh, so I expected for myself uh, to submit them within regulation. Understood. Um, I did see again your posts, and I did want to walk people through this just in case they didn't get a chance to see this off of your own social media. But if you wouldn't mind walking us through what we see here, because there's a certain caption that I think people should uh, kind of get a, an essence for what you're writing here. But what exactly are you doing in this? All right. So right here, I have a body triangle locked up. So when we're attacking the back, there's two two battles essentially going on. There's a battle at the lower body, battle at the upper body. Right now, the lower body is has won. I have a, you know, a fully locked body triangle up, so I'm not worried about him freeing his hips. Rather, I'm worried about him freeing his upper body. So if you go back just a bit, can you rewind this or is this just, just – It's going to replay. That's okay, the beauty okay. of the show. All right. So basically – I have to always make sure that my left hand is underneath my opponent's uh, um, uh, armpit until I go for the strangle. So you see me bring my right arm across. I think that I'm about to get the strangle. Once I feel like I lose it, I immediately put that left hand back. Now I'm like, all right, he's keeping his hands up high. It's going to be a little bit more difficult for me to get the strangle. So I'll try the uh, you know old Mason Fowler trick and uh, and uh, start attacking the spinal lock as his, his elbows above, above his head. I actually hit this in the previous round and um, – I'm pretty sure I hurt the guy's back pretty bad. He toughed it out. Uh, you know, he didn't tap. He ended up tapping to a strangle. Then at the end, I heard him talking to his corner. He's like, hey, man, my back is fucked up. So then once I had it in this round, I was like, oh, yeah, it's going to it's gonna work definitely. 
Yeah, you don't make friends with that one. Um, but it is competition. I would tell you this. I actually was going over this, I think, at least twice today with two entirely different people. Um, and I told them, I was like, you know, there is kind of a subtle brilliance in, in what Mason had in terms of what he was doing with uh, Craig, which is it's deceptive. It doesn't look like it's going to be much, but being put in that position and making it into a spinal lock, and I, I'll only put it at about 10% power, and they're like, oh shit and i was like yeah now imagine you're competing and somebody's doing that to you Cranky. it's just something y you gotta have knowledge of or else it's just gonna hurt and you're gonna try and tough through it and you might hurt yourself exactly exactly it's something that um you know i mean i didn't see until the mason fowler craig jones thing i honestly didn't even believe in it i did not believe in it um craig was like no man you know freaking hurting my back i felt it you know my back had hurt whatever i was like i don't know man and then, uh, but I started playing with it a little bit during training. I was getting taps with it, but I still didn't know if it would really, you know, do some damage. And then in the quarterfinals, um, I hit that move and I was like, all right, this thing freaking works. Cause when there's a, there's a kind of like a fine line, right? When we do our, our finishing mechanics with joint locks, you know, your, your training partners tap and you don't want to, cause you don't want to hurt them. They don't want to get hurt or whatever, but there's still always a little bit of doubt. Like, would that have broken? And then uh, I kind of got that confirmation in the quarterfinals match when I hit it. I was like, all right, this thing is a real submission. Uh, so when I had the opportunity to do it in the finals, I was like, I'm taking it. What did Craig Jones have to say in response to you tagging him on that? Because you definitely said, well, if it worked against Craig Jones, eh, why the fuck not? Yeah, he was actually laughing at, at it because um, I was a big doubter. I didn't believe it at all. As soon as he came back in the training room, I was like, I don't think that's real, man. <laughs> Like, I just don't think it works. Yeah. So I mean, well, he was like, now you're breaking people's spines with it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, Craig has a very good sense of humor about these things. So mm -hmm. obviously it is good to see. But like I mentioned, dude, uh, you know, even doing it to my pals who are 10%, one of whom is doing an EBI style competition coming up pretty soon. And I was like, hey, man, the rules are changing around us. And this is kind of something that people have seen. So if you feel somebody starting to tug at the hip when they've got that body triangle on, look to see what they're doing even if they just have an over under it can still be a little little dicey for you and they're yeah, like really, yes yeah you really have to be careful when those elbows um, are above your shoulder line once those elbows go uh, go above your shoulder line you really have no strength uh, yeah. to pull your elbows back down and if they're elbow to elbow with you man i mean those elbows are coming straight up absolutely and i want to give uh credit here because this photo um that we're gonna go ahead and put up right now um, I want to go ahead and give props on over uh, to w the diet version of whatever steroids Nikki Rod is on. So <laughs> whatever you got, that's the baby version. You thought it won't pick that up. So good for you. No, man. no, in, in very small amounts. You have, yeah, yeah, yeah. You have to take it real, real carefully so nobody uh, catches wind. I have to tell you, I think the Danaher Death Squad guys are the only persons that I have in person. And in interviews, just straight out said, all right, so these roids are good. And they all have a good sense of humor about it. And I might think that I don't think I can do that to many other people and they'd be okay with Probably it. Probably not. They'll be fucking, they'll be so pissed. <laughs> but I still believe the greatest joke I have ever pulled on one Nicky Rod is to go, hey, man, look behind you. And he's like, clear window. He goes, what's up? I was like, I think that's USADA, bro. I think they're coming after you. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I'm glad that he has always enjoyed us. You've been working a lot with him. What have you been doing with him? Are you saying training? 
like uh what 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 can i do to training oh man no 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 no. it's not just the training have i seen you doing part podcasts with him as well um so it's not my podcast at all it's it's only his podcast i've been on his podcast twice now uh once was just um it was just me and him i think it might have been after i won like a super fight or something um and then the second one was when me and ethan we did a um like a team tournament where it was uh no time limit sub only and then like it was quintet style so it was like teams of five would go out and then it's no time limit and then whoever wins stays on for another time limit match and then uh, ethan cleared out the first division um nick ortiz went on ended up winning one then lost one then another teammate of ours lost one and then i cleared out the rest of the division there was like four people left uh, so i cleared, cleared that out and then we went on to the um to the podcast after that so i did two podcasts with him Okay, I guess the reason why I'm asking this is, what business does he have doing a podcast? Because, let's be real, the dude well, lists things. <laughs> okay, let me let me see if I can rephrase this in a way that'll make my complete and utter "What the fuck are you doing?" Uh, come across. I do podcasts. That's what I do. Mm. Nikki Rod does not need to do a podcast. Uh, but lo and behold, when I saw you were on his, I said, well, at least something good is coming of this. At least there is giving attention to the people who are doing fun things. And to see you and Ethan just work as a team against even uh, being wagered at third coast grappling, or not third coast grappling, that's freedom grappling invitational, when they try to pair you guys up. And I go, what kind of game show shit are you guys running? Like the compulsive gambler in me is always interested. And I go, how much are they putting in on this? Ooh, I would not take that bet against those guys. Ooh, two of them? Mm, you got seven? Seven feels a little more lucky. Um, <laughs> but I still feel like that's great. So anyway, give my best to Nikki. He's a wonderful, wonderful guy. Um, let's talk about this, though. So you did mention Taza getting his black belt today. What does that ceremony look like? And the first time you saw a knife get pulled out, did that freak you out at all when you're like, we give knives? What the fuck is this, a naga? So uh, a normal person, it should, because these aren't just normal knives. They're like, you know, seven, eight, nine-inch knives or like three-foot-long machetes. They're they're crazy. But um, I actually was training at Brunswick for probably like four or five months before going to Henzo's and meeting John in person. And then – you already know Gary. You, you've known Gary for, for years now. So this man was always pulling out knives, chopping shit up in the middle of class. So it's like I was kind of desensitized to it. I was like, oh, another knife. There, there was one time where John pulled out a, uh, a cattle prod, actually, an actual cattle prod, and gave it to Gary. And, uh, yeah, Gary, I don't trust him with a cattle prod. He'll literally try to shock you on purpose. Gary, in many different respects, is essentially a real-life version of the movie Big. Like, he wished he was bigger, but he's really mentally eight and has just stayed there forever. Forever. So yeah. That's why giving a cattle prod to an eight-year-old seems like, this is a bad choice. Also, <laughs> I need those knives back, guys, because I don't want you going out on the street with that. You are already dangerous as is. And I will say this. Danaher even put up a post where he explains the essence of the knife. And unlike everybody else, it's one of the few times that I've read a Danaher post that I go, nah, still a sociopath, bro. Like, you're still weird. <laughs> That's still, like, as it is, you can explain with as many big words as you want. It's still, <laughs> at the very end of the day, be like, this knife is still insane. But, um... Yeah, yeah. what's amazing is that um, 
some of the knives that are given, John like literally says, this knife is a perfect killing tool. Can slice human flesh. But like it's so funny. He's like, this would go through flesh like butter. Here you go. That's I mean, <laughs> you know, hey, man, listen, he's his own microcosm that we understand and love. And I will also give compliments to him for being uh, always game for our nonsense because uh, he's, I mean, he's pretty funny. I think that's yeah, one of the he's things. Hysterical. You see that in the comment section every once in a while. But see, here's the thing. Danaher doesn't go and start doing comedy like I do. Nikki Rod is going over and doing podcasts, and I'm like, "Whoa, slow your roll, okay? I'm not out there winning ADCC. I'm not, I'm letting you guys take that, okay? So I just feel like that's that's the trade off that we have there. But I'll talk to them individually both on that. So what was it like for Taza, man? Because obviously that had to be a good day today. I mean, I'm sure he was really happy. I mean, it's well deserved. Taza and Ethan actually got their brown belt really, really quickly. I think it was um maybe about three years in that uh they got their brown belt and i believe john was a little bit um you know upset that they got their brown belt so quickly mm. just because you know he sees um the younger generation as almost like it's a, it's a new learning curve so they should be holding new standards um and they got their black belt or brown belt pretty quickly so we knew it was going to be a little bit of time before they got their black belt and it's been like five years since then i think todd has been training for about eight years so has ethan been so i mean um definitely well deserves they're such hard workers so uh I mean, I'm, I'm sure he's happy. Yeah, I mean, it's completely wonderful. It was only weird for the past few years whenever they'd say, well, this is a brown belt versus a brown belt. And I was like, guys, this doesn't even matter anymore. Just look at who you're talking about and just know, just cross that off the fucking any kind of qualifier and just say you want Ethan to compete or you want Taza to compete. And I understand we need to make it a fair, but like they're already people that we recognize them for what they do not their rank absolutely to be honest i don't even know i mean i don't i don't really understand the the belt ranking system in general because you have blue belts from the east coast or west coast or texas that you know you go to some place in oklahoma or north carolina or whatever and they're smoking every black belt out there so i mean they're like hot spots like i said california texas new york i think those are like the three main hot spots with really good talent and you take lower belts there, and then you go anywhere around the world, they'll they'll be tapping black belts out. So I, I never, I never really respected. Not that I don't respect the the belting system, but I never saw it as a ranking for actual skill. Um, I was a, I mean, I was a white belt competing in still only grappling industries and nagas, but I was still able to beat black belts just with a simple heel hook into, um, you know, ashigarami into heel hooks. It's a great equalizer, man, and especially if you have the right mechanics for something that they're not used to playing with, it could very much make their life very difficult, and that's not your fault. So it's just kind of something that makes the game a little bit more important to, to kind of keep up on. And now that the IBJJF, for entirely unpolitical reasons, is going to go ahead and allow uh, <laughs> heel hooks into it, tells me, oh, wow, we're hurting that bad from not having competitions recently. Hmm. Yeah. We'll see what that new world looks like, but I, I guarantee you there's going to be some fast taps for some heel hooks that a few of yeah. us are going to look at and go, mm, okay. Definitely. I mean, these all respect to, you know, the IBJJF world champs or whatever, but most of them have been training definitely over 10 years, if not 20 years. Um, and a lot of them still haven't practiced heel hooks at all. Then you have people who have been doing heel hooks since white belt 
working on the mechanics, working on the brake mechanics, working on, on the counters. I mean, it's going to be a totally different game when um, <clears throat> they go against these IBJJF guys, especially when IBJJF guys haven't had to worry about uh, reaping, haven't had to worry about exposing or hiding their heels. Um, so you'll, I definitely think you'll see a big change in the world champions next year. And honestly, there's been a small component of people who've been leading the charge, like, let us do this. And my thought has always been, listen, if you are in those higher upper belt divisions, it does, you no good to protect it other than just trying to get their money. But apparently <laughs> it's hard to do that when you can't really have competitions for about a good seven months. So we'll see if it sticks. It's, if it's just a one-time gimmick, it could be very much the uh, presents new Coke sort of deal that happens where people go, I want old Coke. What the fuck's wrong with Pepsi <laughs> clear? Nobody wants that shit. So yeah. <clears throat> go ahead. Yeah, man. Yeah. I, I think, I think you're right, man. I think, um, <clears throat> I think uh, you'll see like a big influx of just random people signing up for these world events and then winning. Um, then you'll see a big backlash from the IBJJF community or, or traditional IBJJF community. I, I definitely think that I hope it doesn't happen, but um. I think allowing Helix is a is a step in the right direction for jujitsu overall, uh, but I can see you know politics getting involved and people trying to ban it again. We'll see. I'm open to it. I'm just glad that people <clears throat> get to compete who would not traditionally come out to these things. I think it makes it a little bit more representative of the community as a whole, especially for our nogi competitors. Because sometimes when somebody says they're a nogi champion, I think well. I mean, it's good. You beat people. These people weren't in that. So all things considered, you won a very unique tournament that was very difficult. Does it encapsulate everything? What does? But it could have. So we'll see. We'll see what it looks like. I want to go a little bit more into some origin stories since this is your first time on the show. We know that you own All in BJJ, but we got to get the backstory to figure out where does training begin for you, sir? So I was actually um, at Rutgers. Uh, I was just a freshman at Rutgers. I ended up joining the um, Rutgers Brazil Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu Club, and Gary was the coach there. Gary actually went to Rutgers as well um, and was a part of the club, and when he graduated, he became the, the head coach there. So then that's how I actually found it. As soon as I started, you know, I fell in love with the sport right away, so then I, I joined up Brunswick Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, which is Gary's gym. Um, and then, I mean, like I, like I said, when I started Jiu-Jitsu, I was like, oh, this, this is awesome. And I didn't think I was going to do it or try to pursue it as a profession. Um, I really just loved the sport. And then I saw Gary and Gordon, you know, essentially playing like little kids every day, every single day, just, you know, just joking around, having fun and then um, pursuing their dreams. So I was like, you know, this is this seems like a better lifestyle to shoot for. And then worst case scenario, if it doesn't like uh, if it doesn't work out, then, you know, go back to college, get my regular nine to five, what I was going to try to do anyway. Um. But uh, either way, then I joined up Brunswick. I started training for a few months. And then Gordon asked if I wanted to try to do this professionally. And I was like, I don't even know that's possible. And he was like, you have to come to Henzo's uh, and train with us every day if you really want to get better. So then that, that's how I got my foot in the door at Henzo's. And then I uh, just never looked back. Just started training every day as much as I could. That's pretty cool because that story kind of takes from grandpa – to son, to grandson sort of vibe because Gary was the person who extended a hand to Gordon many years ago and that Gordon continued to pay that forward to one of his teammates or to you in this particular case to say like, hey man, I've trained with you a little bit. If you want to do this, here's the open invitation on how you do it. The key is show up and work really hard. So that's a really cool kind of a component to it. I would ask this though, 
were you doing other sports before jujitsu? So in high school, um, I did football and lacrosse. Those were my main sports that I played uh, all throughout high school. Um, and uh, I did wrestling third through eighth grade. But to be honest, I didn't really learn anything in those five seasons of wrestling. It was pretty mediocre. Like I was average at best. Uh, I didn't really understand it. It was just, you know, try to go harder and faster, you know, do it more, explode more, believe more. That's really what I thought everything was about was in football. That was the same thing. You got to want it more. You got to dig deep. And then once I found Gary uh, and John, you know, they really started opening up like the intellectual side of it and the puzzle solving aspect of it. And I was like, oh, this is how it should be done. This is why it works. And that's when I really felt um, like my progression start to, to happen and start to take place. I mean, don't get me wrong. I've seen Gary and Danaher do long bits on believe and try harder when they're pretending to yell out as coaches. And I get what that is. I've been on those teams myself in sports. And the hard part for me as a kid is I always felt like this almost seems disingenuous. Like this seems like, yes, let's get the team morale, but we're not going to win just by believing because it assumes the other team just isn't believing (laughs) as hard as we are. So is this Tinkerbell competition uh, is there a meter we can see and just kind of like get some Care Bear stare power into it? Because otherwise, this seems ridiculous. At some point, we should probably add the skill to it a little bit more than that. So that is good that you were able to do that. I mean, listen, dude, I, I think a lot of people would envy, though, the ability to have at least some wrestling base. You know, it may not make sense in terms of where you are now, but it could have been a helping mechanism when you were starting to make that transition. So can you tell me what those first days were like when you were first starting to train with Gary? Um, do you have a recollection of the first day or so that you showed up? Um, very vague. I remember the first few sessions and like, to be honest, my mindset still had, it was still, it hasn't shifted to the technique side yet i first came in and like i always wanted to be the stronger person so i was like i just gotta try these things harder so i i found an achilles grip and i just tried to rip it i found a guillotine grip and i just tried to sink back and you know bridge into the the guillotine it was very very mediocre and i still thought it was like that it was really when um nikki actually started coming to ruckers he would come to the to the ruckers club as a fat 13 year old kid with a with his wrist brace on and uh, beat the living crap out of grown men. Yet the Rutgers Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu Club when I was there was pretty much a, a bunch of roided up frat kids um, that were just wrestling around. And you had little Nikki who was chubby and uh, basically dominating them. So I was like, all right, this guy is staying calm in these certain situations. He obviously knows something that I don't, and I have to try to figure out what the hell he knows so I can start doing that. I didn't want these, you know, these guys beating the crap out of me. The first time I actually... I didn't train with, with Gordon until I was at Brunswick, actually. Um, and he was skinny. And he was like, hey, man, you want to train? Back then, he had like a super high voice. And I was like, yeah, let's go. And I was in my head, I'm like, I'm going to destroy this guy. I want to beat him. Everything, every single role for like the first two months was basically an ADCC uh, championship to me. I was like, I'm going to win. I have to win. And then Gordon just smoked me. 
and at the time he maybe he was like getting ready for brown belt world so he's like 160 pounds i was like a fat college kid weighing like 185 maybe 190 pounds um now i weigh like 155 i lost a lot of weight i was this chubby kid when i first started but uh yeah i mean those are the the days i remember i was just me trying really hard and getting my ass whooped and then finally getting humbled and i'm like all right this is there's something a bit more than just trying hard. I have to try to understand what these people are doing, you know, calm down in certain situations and try to figure out uh, uh, the technique aspect of this and the, the, the theory behind it. So were you inherently a competitive person who was finding jujitsu and that became kind of a new competitive outlet? If so, was there a form of competitive outlet that you had before that? Um, I absolutely am a competitive person. Every I was actually having this conversation with um, my grandparents actually like a week ago because I was, I was wondering if, if this competitive nature in me was taught, like if I was taught as a kid to always, you should try to win in everything you do, or if it was just me, because as far back as I can remember, I hated losing. Like even to this day, I, I despise losing and winning feels amazing to me. Um, and then my grandparents basically said, no, you hated losing. You always wanted to win. Um, and I would continue to play a game until I won, basically. Um, so I definitely always was a competitive person, um, even in sports. If I wasn't the best, I was still always trying the hardest in, in you know, conditioning or always trying to get a competitive edge on my, uh, on my teammates, trying to do something more, you know, lifting on the side. Or I did, like, speed schools to try to get faster than my, my competitors, even on my team. So there's always something, something that, that I was trying to do to, to progress – quicker than my uh my teammates question you said speed school what is a speed school so um i was in i remember this vividly there was this kid in um in middle school on my pop warner team who was fast as fuck he was just so fast and um he wore this this shirt called parisi parisi speed school and he's like yeah yeah i go to this this speed school they they work on different like muscle groups to help you get faster and you know how to run properly and what exercises to do to make sure, you know, your, your fast twitch, uh, muscles are, are firing quick, whatever. And, um, I just saw, saw that. And I was like, Oh, nobody's doing this except this guy. I was like, I begged my mom. I'm like, mom, please, please. Can we please go to the speed school? She's like, what the hell's a speed school? I was like, it'll get me faster. I need it. Please, please, please. Just begging her. And then, um, she let me go to it. My mom, um, I even asked her, I was like, why, why was I so, com so competitive? And, uh, as far as back as she can remember, I always wanted to do something more to try to, to, I was even competitive among my teammates. Like I just wanted to be the strongest teammate on there on the team. I wanted to be the fastest. Even if I wasn't, I was trying to find ways to be the fastest or be the strongest. That makes sense, and that does check out. What were you playing in football? Uh, position I uh, I played strong safety and fullback actually. That makes yeah, sense. Mainly strong safety. I would tell you this because there was an era where. I would say probably in middle school for me, I, I hit a growth spurt before everybody else. It stopped, obviously. But when I hit that growth spurt, I was the fastest kid in school. And I was like, I think I've got this shit made. And then I would realize I was like, oh, no, everybody grew faster than me. Their legs are so much longer and they know what to do with it. Ugh, it was a good one year run, everybody. And I remember telling people when I was playing football as a wide receiver, I was like, I have speed. My hands are OK. But our quarterback's Hail Mary was like 20 yards. And I go, this, you know what? Back to soccer. This has been mm -hmm. fun, everybody. This is, this is good. Uh, but I did notice that I would tell people, I was like, you know, soccer for 10, 
11 years in my life is the only reason I'm not obese now is because I put in that much work then. So I, I realized what component that did for me. Was there something from your years of athletics that you were able to implement when you were starting your jujitsu journey that were very helpful? Um, I definitely think um, a big thing that helped me with my progression was um, the idea of consistency uh, in football and lacrosse, you know, even in off season, we're lifting every day, everything's still about progressing in the sport, even if you're not actively uh, competing in it, even though you're not actively on the on season. Um, so I definitely feel as soon as I did jujitsu and I knew I wanted to get better, I knew that I just had to train every day and stay consistent with it. So I definitely believe the, the high school sports helped me with the consistency aspect of training, but, um, the intellectual part, man, it really all just stems from John and Gary. And I, I found it when I was there. I really, I really got lucky, uh, just falling right where I did at Rutgers. I know we talked a lot about kind of the origins of when you kind of met these people. Uh, I have two questions here. The first is when did you actually fall in love with jujitsu? Like when did that happen? And the second, I guess, with respect to the kind of the first times that you met, say Nikki or Gordon, when did you finally get a sense of who these guys were in the jujitsu community? So I don't even, I don't recall when, um, when I really knew these people, cause I knew Gary for about a month before I even looked up his stuff. Cause like I was going like twice a week and I was like, Oh, this guy knows jujitsu. Oh, he's going to Beijing for, for some big tournament. But I don't know. I had, I knew nothing. I didn't know jujitsu could be a professional, uh, you know, career. Um, I just knew that I, that I liked the, the competitive aspect. I really didn't have anything to compete physically in, um, in college, you know, there's no real, there's intramurals, which I never was really into, um, and I did always, I do like, uh, um, I would say combat or fighting or one-on-one -on -one type situations. Um, I definitely really, I like to test my will versus, you know, somebody else in a one-on-one -on -one situation. Um, but, uh, I don't really know when I fell in love with the sport. I know that, yeah, I really, I really couldn't tell you. I mean, as soon as I started, I was like, this thing's awesome. And I just started training every day. I really don't know. There wasn't a big click where I was like, oh, I can do this. It was just, I just got to keep training if I want to get better at this. And then they're like, oh, you know, you're kind of good at this. You just keep, just keep training. But I already knew to myself that like I was going to keep training because this thing's awesome. Uh, there wasn't a real defining moment where I was like, I'm going to try to see how good I can take this thing. It was mainly just how can I keep training every day? So it was just problem solving on how I can get to training every day. It sucked honestly, during sophomore year of college, because uh, I was still taking like 18 credits. Um, and that's when I started training in the city still. So I was taking like the 605 train up to New York from New Brunswick. And then I would do homework on the, the train, then I would train morning session, I'd do more homework in between sessions, then I had noon session, then take the train back, uh, back to New Brunswick, do more homework, then I had classes for a bit um, in, the, in the evening, then I would haul ass to Brunswick, I would take uh, the basic and intermediate at Brunswick. And then live train, sometimes go back to Rutgers. I was also in a fraternity. I thought the fraternity was so cool. And I had a, I had a, a um, I had a, like a, a responsibility. I was, uh, it's called mem dev or member development on, on the fraternity. So I had to do work for that. I thought it was like, there was so much shit that I was doing. Um, but it, was, it mainly was how can I get to training more? So I took online classes. I scheduled my classes in the evening so I could still go into morning sessions. And then it was just that grind over and over again. Well, ultimately, that kind of led you to figure out 
you know, that's a lot of work to do. And at the very least, you got a little bit of a, a palette of everything. You get the fraternity life, you get the college life, you get the online school life, you get the ridiculous amount of uh, travel that comes along with training where you need to train to be good. So really, you may not have a distinct moment because you were being a college kid, but you definitely had opportunities where you could see different avenues and you could see what was in front of you and you could make a choice based off of those opportunities that you saw in front of you. So that kind of checks out. I, I kind of get that, especially when you're in college, sometimes you're doing things. I mean, I, I competed in speech and debate in that. And honestly, there were times when I would like forget a class or forget that I had to do something for a class. And I'd be like, Oh, right. Oops. Sorry. I had to go win nationals. So, uh, oops, like, I don't know what to tell you. Like they wrote a press release about it and we did really well. And they'd be like, we don't give a shit. This is a science class. And I go, Oh, you know, what are you going to do? So I, I understand that sometimes you get caught up in something and then you realize, no, that's what I want to do. That's, that's where I belong. That makes more sense. Yeah. So it, it completely gets there. I would ask, at what point do you say, all right, now all of those things considered, I want to own a gym. All right. So um, that's a good question. Um, so my entire life, actually, I always knew that I wanted to be my own boss. Pretty much every single job that I've had, um, I was always a, a good employee. Like my bosses love me. I always have, I mean, I still keep in touch with pretty much all my bosses, but, um, they're, uh, I, I literally always hated it. Like it was always fun for the first few months, uh, learning something new. And then it just became mundane again. And, you know, I, I always knew that it wasn't for me and I always wanted to be my own boss and own something, uh, rather than having, then rather than, you know, building somebody else's business, I wanted to build my own business. So, um, when I found jujitsu, I, I saw Gary was owning his own school too. So, um, I thought that was a good avenue to try to, uh, to, to work towards something that I love to do. Cause jujitsu is what I'm going to do every day. I might as well try to make money off of it was kind of how I saw it. Um, and then, uh, at the time when I was a sophomore year, when I was doing that crazy schedule, I actually couldn't train on the weekends because I was a caddy. Um, I worked Saturdays and Sundays and prime time, you know, golf, golf hours basically like from 7 a.m until around like 4 p.m or whatever and those were um that's that's when training was on the weekend so two whole days i had to miss training um and i was trying to ask gary and gordon i was like you know i feel like i'm getting better but i need some i need to get better quicker everything was about the rate of progression for me it was how can i get better faster um, how can i solve these problems faster uh and then basically gordon broke it down and he was like you're never going to get as good as us because you're not training as much as us and i was like what the fuck do you mean man like i'm training every day i'm fucking grinding whatever whatever and he's like dude you take every weekend off and i was like yeah but i have to work he's like that doesn't mean anything like you're still taking every weekend off so then i asked gary you know what can i do and at the time um gary needed a manager for his gym and uh, i saw like that was a really good opportunity for me to learn how to open up and run my own academy. So then I was like, all right, that's a good opportunity to, to train full time. And uh, I get to learn valuable skills that will help me in the future. So then about three years ago, uh, I started managing Gary's gym, you know, uh, answering the emails, doing all the back end work for the gym, seeing how the, um, the gym, you know, runs and operates on the back end. Uh, so I basically figured out how to do it all myself without the actual quote unquote risk of owning and, uh, potentially destroying a business <laughs> basically you already know gary so gary's really hands-off 
Like Gary's like a um a type of guy who uh he's focused about um, you know, what's coming up next. He has his competition, then he has a fight or whatever, and everything else kind of slips his mind, especially because he has ADHD. Um, so uh I mean I definitely think he he uh he put a lot of trust into me, I feel like. Um at least I felt like I had a big responsibility because the the gym could blow up uh, at my hand because he kind of gave me full autonomy to do whatever I wanted. Well, they do say the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he had ADHD. So, you know, seems like a very likely excuse for Gary to go ahead and have. So I, I understand that. However, a great windfall for you. When did you open up your academy? Man, so I technically opened up seven months ago. March 1st was my opening date. About two and a half weeks in, I have a mandatory shutdown. I have to close up shop. And I was closed for about uh, probably six months, five or six months. Um, and then um, I finally kind of said, you know, enough's enough. I decided to just reopen and I reopened, um, you know, kind of uh, underground a little bit. And then uh, finally Murphy opened up, said, said you can open up your business, but at 25% capacity, everybody has to wear masks, stuff like that. So then I opened up, I opened up about two months ago. Well, congrats. Thanks. Sucks that it's a weird year. My apologies on that. Obviously things are starting to slowly change. We're not out of the woods everywhere just yet, but how have you been able to continue staying sane during such a troubling time when you as a person not only are competitive and want to always present yourself as the best, but that you don't even get a full fair shake to be a business owner just yet? Um, I mean, not much really changed um, during the lockdown. Like for the, there was a maybe two week period uh, where I was really going crazy thinking like the world was really going to end, you know, people are dying left and right. Um, but then after that, it kind of took two weeks before I started really training again. Um, me and Nikki and uh, our buddy Andrew would go to Brunswick uh, when it was closed up, basically, and just have our secret training sessions. Um, and then, uh, then we finally went back to to John and you know John and Gordon never stopped training. Uh, so then I finally grew some balls and then went back and started training every day. And then John kind of kept us sane. He was like just keep focusing, understand that everybody else is taking, you know, they're taking time off, they're vacationing, they're relaxing, they're quarantining. But for, for six, seven months, we've been training every fucking day. So, I mean, that, that really, uh, it was a big motivator because we see our progression. Honestly, when we were, um, when we were open uh, to the public, we had two sessions a day, uh, but it was the competitive team, uh, training with the hobbyists basically so it was john would teach still good stuff but um he couldn't go in depth into the theories and stuff like that because the hobbyists really wouldn't understand it um to the level that we would understand it um but now once it was locked down and we had our private training sessions then john can can go deep for hours into the theories into the into the uh, concepts that he's trying to teach us so uh, we all feel like our progression just skyrocketed during this uh, this quarantine season, to be honest. Well, that's a good kind of windfall from it. it. It allowed you to, you know, maybe not have to worry about the rest of everything else, but just tunnel vision and focus just in on that. So that is 
uh, a good thing to come from it. So that's great for you. I would ask this. I do know that Gary also had to close down and then he reopened recently. Have yep. you visited his new gym location? Yes. Yeah, so I actually just visited for the first time today, actually. Um, it's doing well. We're inside uh, a UFC gym. So, um, I mean, the gym, it, could, it couldn't work at it couldn't have worked out uh, better because now um, the students have like, you know, great showers. They have like a sauna, they have full access to the gym, 24 access to the gym. So, I mean, the students are getting a killer deal, killer deal. Well, that's great, man. We obviously, uh, despite any ridiculousness that comes from Gary, uh, you know, we always wish him well and we always hope that things uh, do turn out uh, at least for his business and that everything kind of, finds itself and works itself out. But it was definitely a rough time for him. And I knew that um, that's something that impacts him because he does feel like he gets to make a difference in so many kids' lives. And much like you, a student who came from that system, you see the benefit of being able to open people's eyes to jiu-jitsu and what it can do and change their life to Absolutely. the point where they just go, school, fuck it, I'm going to open a gym. Fuck this shit. Let's get this money. You know, like stuff like that where I think, okay, obviously this is a multi-tiered and very complicated thing. And especially for our sport, people just don't understand it. So while we want to try and do everything we can, our sport just doesn't exist without contact. So it is, is a very, very dicey situation. And um, obviously we've, we've been hoping and pulling for our friends. So I was very happy to see that he reopened. I did want to ask this because... You mentioned you're competitive. You mentioned you like anything that gets you in the face of another person and allows you to test yourself. But I guess the question here is, is there any significance to this photo? Number one, you look like a dollar store version of Apollo Creed. Number two, <laughs> are you slowly starting to suggest that maybe MMA could be in your future? Uh-oh. Did he back out? No, I'm here. I just want you to have a full frame. But yes, I'm asking, is MMA a possibility for you? Is that what we're seeing here? Is this um, just something you do recreationally? No, no. I um so uh I I train MMA every single day as well. Uh this is kind of behind closed doors, but in the mornings, um we from 9:30 to about 12, I have my MMA session with Gary and John. And then um, at around 1 p.m., we have our jiu-jitsu session. So um, I definitely plan on fighting MMA. Right now, I'm just focusing on progression, though. So I'll compete in jiu-jitsu, get my grappling, uh, you know, on point. And then every day for years, I'll be working on MMA. And then I'll make my MMA debut, and nobody will ever know who I am. And then, uh, you know, hopefully knock people out. Where did this come from? Because you mentioned how... Again, we covered your competitive. I get that element. You got the jiu-jitsu gene. You like testing yourself. You like being the best in the room. Punching people in the face and wanting to explore MMA, that's a different thing. Has that always been within you? And if not, when did it start to avail itself? So um, to be honest, uh, I actually found a book from when I was uh, in early middle school. I was like, cleaning out some stuff. And uh, it said, what did, what did you want to be when you were older? And then the first thing it said, it said a professional grappler. And to be honest, I didn't know what a professional grappler was. 
I didn't I didn't know what it was. I said I want to wrestle my friends and get better every day. I was honestly thinking like Naruto type. I, I liked Naruto when I was uh, growing up. I was into that. Um, and then uh, the next thing was like, what's your favorite pastime? And I was like, my favorite pastime is UFC fight time. This is when you fight, whatever, whatever. So like subconsciously, I think I always did want to fight MMA, um, but I didn't really know how to how to go about it. And then I found jujitsu, and then. Um, me and Gordon actually started MMA at the same time back when Gordon wanted to do MMA. Uh, so then I started when he started. Gary had already been doing it for about a year and a half. Um, so then I started training every day. And then, you know, John said, you know, you're kind of natural at this. You're moving well. Um, and uh, I, I feel like I – honestly, I, I feel like MMA comes more naturally to me than grappling does. I feel like I move way better on my feet than I do in jiu-jitsu. Um, I could be wrong, but um, – you know, I, I hear great things from, you know, uh, John and Gary that uh, I'm progressing pretty well. So, I mean, if there's anybody to listen to in MMA, it, it's going to be John and Gary. So uh, if anybody else said it, maybe I wouldn't have taken it as seriously. Maybe I wouldn't try to pursue pursue the MMA aspect because, you know, there's a lot of risk to it. But when there's people that I highly, highly respect telling me that um, – I'm pretty good at this thing. And again, if I pursue this, dedicate myself every day that I can make something of myself in the sport, then I'll definitely listen to them. So, uh, I mean, I'm just following the path, man. Well, here's the good news. As long as you don't drop kick the air, you're already going to be a step ahead of Gary in your debut. <laughs> exactly. So, right? <laughs> you know, how hard is exactly. that going to be? I mean, obviously he's undefeated, but like, you know, but really, is he really though? Is he yeah. really though? Is a really very valid question. I don't so, know. <laughs> I think the best part was, uh, I think I sent Gary uh, like a video of our initial reaction to watching his first fight in MMA, and it had all of the emotions. And we we got like every GIF or you know major kind of silly video and and compiled a video. And I guess the hard part was it had expanded beyond our reach of folks. To the point where people go, you know, you guys are being really dickish to Gary. And I was like, first of all, that does not exist. Second of all, have you met him? Third of all, look at any of our videos and see if he's not a dick right back to me and doesn't merit this. So I beg you the question, do you know Gary? Um, so, uh, you know, we, we had a good laugh about it. I said, him, I was like, yeah, dude, it seems like people think I don't like you. And I was like, but what they should know is I really don't. Exactly, and he exactly. sent me a note back, just being like, "This is spectacular." He goes, "How do they not?" He was like, "How did they not get the idea that in doing all of these interviews oh, over I these?" I can't hear you right now. I got you, man. Uh, why don't we do this? Do you want to exit the room and come back in? Can you hear me? You got? Yeah, I can hear you. Do you hear okay. me now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, uh, Gary was saying he goes. I don't understand how all these people can see us do all these interviews over these years and still think they just really hate each other, but they always come together. Like, I don't like you and you don't like me, but God damn it here. We have to do this. He goes, I don't understand how we can't be any more clear. And I said, you know what, man, it's a fun ride. If I get to be shitty to you and do as many jokes as I want, is it really a bad interview? He's like, no, this might actually work to our favor. So it's, uh, it's definitely been something that we've, we've joked and, People on the, yeah, people on the internet. I mean, a lot of them are dumb. I remember um, 
I made a uh, I made a post saying that that Gordon was racist once. I was like, Gordon's the most racist guy in the room. Like he needs to get canceled. And everybody was like, I can't believe he's racist to you. We gotta shut them down. Whatever. I was like, wow, I can't believe you guys really believe this stuff. I mean, here's the good news is that you know <laughs> you could put that post up and be like Gordon's so racist, I don't even remember why he's racist. And people would be like, that's that's convincing. Exactly. Let's, Let's bring him down. I don't know, man. I mean, here's the good news. The good news for our business is there's not really a meme or a joke that I can say that I know that's really going to offend them. So it usually leads us to a very stilted, I saw that one, and I go, okay. And they'll be like, you know, they're kind of like trying to tell you, like, I didn't think it's funny. And I was like, well, it took you 10 minutes to submit this guy, so maybe be better at your job and I'll be better at mine. I don't know. We can figure things out. Exactly. Being like, listen, dude, <laughs> like, listen, you know, Dan or her, I think once was trying to tell me, he's like, you know, humor is, and I was like, you can save it. Next time you go sell out at an improv, we'll, we'll have this talk. But until then, I think slow down there, uh, more different Bill Burr. I got you oh my God. for that. Well, listen, dude, I obviously, I'm glad that we were able to make this happen today. We're going to get to a moment where you get to kind of shout out anybody you want to, anybody who's helped you, anybody's, you know, giving you special time over these past seven months. I know they've been trying. Very happy that your business is open, All In BJJ. I would like to ask, though, before I even give you the chance to plug your shit, where does the name All In come from? Is it from the fact that you guys keep betting on yourselves and that you just decide to push in every single time like it's a goddamn poker game? Um. So uh, first all in starts with a so i wanted to i wanted there to be like if there was any default to being alphabetical order i, I at least wanted to be first so i need I, I needed i needed it to start with a um and then second all in is definitely um a good motto essentially that i kind of live my life by like pretty much everything that i ever did in anything i always wanted to try to be number one or i i always went essentially all in uh, with jujitsu, with sports, with everything in my life, I always wanted to try to uh, do everything I could to possibly be uh, as as best as I can be in that in that one industry. Yeah. All right, all right. I'm just taking that. I mean, as a, you know, an occasional card player here and there, I like to know uh, who I'm talking to and what they are all about because I've already learned today. Very easy to peer pressure. Yeah. To be with... honest, I there was I did have a poker phase where I tried to get good at poker, but man, I am horrible at poker. My friends always beat me. They always beat me in poker. It's very inviting. I yeah. would tell you this though. I still feel like, you know, again, I, I kind of understand my limitations in jiu-jitsu, but I feel like a lot of the times people, when they're rolling with me, uh, they'll say like, you're not reacting. I don't, I don't like it. And I go, I have a solid poker face. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I'm just letting you know that what you're doing isn't really going to work in actuality. In my head, I'm probably freaking out, but I sell it convincingly well. And they're like, dude, it's like a weapon. And I was like, yeah, sure. If it is, I don't even play poker that well. But I do notice, though, I've always wanted to get um, people in jujitsu to do a poker game because, again, while not actually good at jujitsu, I've seen people's poker tells while rolling. So it's their little moments where I look at them and I go, okay, if they did this, I know that their hand would be shit. Like, uh, just with, with rolling with them. Really? Like, yeah, mm -hmm. 
Mm -hmm. And it is it is quite on the money. The only difference is is that when I've played poker with a couple sets of fighters who are not afraid to get punched in the face, sort of a deal, they're also prone to not having patience. And so much like your brand name, they're like, I'm all in. I was like, it's the first hand. <laughs> There's no way you have down, statistically bro. that. And I realized, oh shit, they're just hotheads. Like they just want to win or they want to go home. So they're at the point where they just go, you know what? I don't got 10 minutes to wait to see how this plays out all in. And yeah. then you look over <laughs> and they see like, you had a pair of twos, right? Okay. Well, don't do that again. They're like, fuck it. I'm going home now. And I look it over and I see like a chip leader now. And I go, you didn't earn that. And they go, I know. I know. They were just mm -hmm. stupid. So we like to, we like to get people mess about that. All right. Let's do some shout outs, man. Who do you like to shout out? I'm going to give you the floor. You can also promote your gym. Uh, tell us anything that you got coming up. All the Shabazz right now on you. All right. Um, so I definitely like to shout out my gym, All In Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. You could follow them on Instagram. I'd like to shout out John Danaher, Gary Ton, and Gordon, uh, you know, <clears throat> uh, guys that have really, really helped me in my game. I have the next thing coming up. Um, I have two bet matches on Freedom Grappling Invitational December 5th. So you guys can tune into that, Freedom Grappling Invitational. Um, and, yeah, that's it. Yeah, I did see that. What is the bet match that's at Freedom? So um, the bet match is – I'm actually bet matching two different people. Um, there's one guy, I believe he's from Texas. I think his name is Noah Wyatt. Um, I'm fighting him for 500 bucks. Um, literally just – I have no idea who he is. He just said that he bet me 500 bucks, and I was like, okay, absolutely. Um, and then there's a guy from Canada named um, – Max Hansen, who um, I'm betting for fifteen hundred bucks, uh, and they're both going to be no time limit sub onlys. I think Noah Wyatt is around my weight. I think Max Hansen is like maybe like twenty pounds heavier than I am. He was kind of complaining about the weight a little bit because I wanted him. We originally agreed to do one sixty or something like that, and then he was like, "I don't want to do one sixty. I want to do like an open weight or something." And then um, the initial bet was supposed to be a thousand bucks, so then I got him to agree to do an open weight for fifteen hundred bucks. So. Uh, all in all, uh, I'll be betting uh, um, uh, two grand total. Sometimes this is so silly. But I, I had told the guys over at Freedom Invitational, they check in with us every once in a while when I do like a live show. And uh, I just told them, I was like, yeah, I saw some of those kids with the um, with the betting on themselves shit. All right. And uh, they laugh and they go, man, those kids got balls. All credit to them. And I was like, yeah, dude, but it's like a pastime to them. I just like the fact that sometimes they're talking about shit. I was like, dude, I don't even want to bet people 20 bucks that I can pass their guard sometimes. And like, again, sometimes I'm sitting there and I'm calculating the odds and I go, they don't really guard well on their weak side. I think they got a 45% chance of doing this. It's pretty dicey. So <laughs> I, I calculate odds very well. Unfortunately, I do not have that acumen. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to close this bitch up real quick. And then I'm going to say bye to you off air. But Damon, it was a pleasure to bring you on the show for the very first time. I know you've always been uh, very nice to us. And obviously, we've kind of known each other through proxy of all the guys. And I very, very much uh, appreciate you, not just for coming on, but always being a good sport with all of our antics and uh, being fun for us, man. So congrats to you. I'm glad we were able to bring you on to commemorate this big win that you had yesterday. Thanks for having me on, man. Really appreciate it.
Appreciate it. All right, let's go ahead and close this bitch up. As we want to say, thank you guys so much for tuning in this week. A couple quick reminders. Yes, there's going to be a new installment of Verbal Tappy. If you haven't heard it, go listen to it. Me and Kevin back at it again. Very glad that he's back from his wedding. Also, go give some love to our sponsors, nogibjjgear.com. Use the promotional code GRAPPLINGHOUR15 to take, what's that, 15% off of whatever you put in your cart. Also, go to our friends over at dodgycollective.com. Give them some love. We truly appreciate what they do and all they do for us. Anyway, kids. We'll be back on the air on Saturday for a fight companion. Very excited. We keep the progress running. And uh, I think that's going to do it for us here. My name's Rafa Sparza. It's been a great day for grappling. We'll see you back on the mats. <laughs>